You are listening to The 1% Christian, the daily Bible study where we get together for 1% of our day. We study God's Word, and we head out to the remaining 99% to do something amazing with this life that God's given us. I am Pastor J.D. Ambrosio with Sound of Heaven Church in Deer Park, New York. I invite you to check us out at soh.church, and while you're there, download our free mobile app. There's a lot on there. There's a digital Bible where you can use that to follow along with our studies. We've got all of our teachings on there. There's an online community and several forums that you can join. It's a great resource in your pocket. And if you're listening anywhere where you get your podcasts, like, share, subscribe, turn on your notifications, leave a five-star review, a comment if it's available. We definitely would appreciate that because it helps us to get in front of more people and grow this study. We are in Matthew chapter 22 today, and uh, we are really seeing the persecution of Jesus or some real attitudes toward Jesus that are that are pretty, pretty nasty. Uh, starting to rise up, and of course, uh, in this study, we are—we're really in the last week of Jesus's earthly ministry, and just as much as they are coming after him, and by they, I mean you know the religious leaders of that time, uh, he is giving it right back to them. And over the past three days, we studied three different parables where Jesus really one contrasts them from. Uh, those who are actually uh, taking part in the kingdom of God, and he points out the people that they really don't like, right, the tax collectors, the harlots. But this has been Jesus's MO for uh, for as long as we've been studying, right, for really since the beginning of Matthew. He went to those who were, you know, rejected and and really shown a light on the religious leader's hypocrisy, and then, of course, the, the two parables, the parable of the landowner and then yesterday the parable of the wedding feast, which had implications of those who would reject the call, reject what the father wanted, ultimately pointing out that, you know, you know they have basically shut down every single messenger that God has ever sent. That includes the prophets, you know, of the past that they held in such high regard, and now they are rejecting God's one and only Son, who is looking to help them to establish the true kingdom of God here on earth. Remember, politically, they wanted—the kingdom that they wanted was just for the nation of Israel to rise up and take over Rome. Uh, So Jesus really wasn't the Messiah that they had all hoped and planned for, but— um, let's be honest, what he was offering was so much more uh, than that. And here's where we get now as well uh, into uh, a conversation between the Pharisees, the Herodians, and Jesus. And that's where we're going to study today. They try to trap him, and they do so by you know dishonest conversation, which we saw just a couple teachings ago, which really kicked off this whole discussion and the parables and things like that, they asked him, "What by what authority do you do the things that you do, right? And they were not being honest 
in truly wanting to know. They were trying to trap him. Well, here's another case where they are trying to trap him again. So let's get into this. We're going to study. We're going to talk a little bit about the culture of that time, and we're going to pull out some awesome kingdom principles as well. So let's start. We are in Matthew chapter 21, starting with verse 15. It says, Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. So we have the Pharisees and the Herodians. And if you've been following along this time, you know that the Pharisees are the religious leaders of that time. Okay. And they were very, very strict when it came to Jewish law. And so strict that they took uh, Ten Commandments and made them over 300. That's that's the way the Pharisees rolled, okay? So now you see both them and the Herodians coming to talk to Jesus. Now, who were the Herodians? The Herodians were a political group. They were basically made up of the ruling class of Judea. And if you look at the name of them, so to speak, you'll notice Herod in there. They were basically followers of King Herod. Herod the Great. Now, they were what was called more Hellenized. Hellenized, what does that mean? Hellenized is basically Greek-Roman cultural influence, right? So they did not hold the Jewish law to the same degree that, let's say, the Pharisees and even the Sadducees did, right? So it's funny because very much like our time, the the political classes or the different sects of Judaism did not like each other. The Pharisees didn't like the Sadducees. Sadducees didn't like the Pharisees. Neither of them liked the Herodians. And normally they were all at each other's throats. But they hated Jesus so much that they would come together, right? This was kind of unprecedented, to try to stop him. They didn't like each other at all but they hated Jesus even more than they disliked each other. So they come together. Let's continue, and let's look at how they try to trap Jesus in his words. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Ah, what are they trying to do? Let's continue reading. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Okay, so let's just attach, uh, uh, let's talk about one thing here first. How are they trying to take Jesus down? They're trying to take him down through flattery. They're looking for a weakness in Jesus that, you know, we can sit here and chuckle, but of course it doesn't exist. They are trying to flatter him into making a mistake. They're looking for a weakness. And why would they look for this weakness? It was their weakness. Remember, the Pharisees, I don't know much about the Herodians and and how they operated. Chances are very similarly, right? If you want to be a ruling class of a land, you know, and and you will do anything to keep that ruling class. And the big joke is, is that they weren't a they didn't rule anything. Rome you know, allowed for Herod to be a king. So he was like a fake king. Uh, Meanwhile, always answering to Rome. And the, the Herodians actually liked the fact that Rome ruled because as long as they, you know, 
kiss the tukis of Rome, right? What would happen is they would be allowed to have power, right? So it was a uh, a fake sense of power. And isn't that very much like, you know, uh, a lot of the quote unquote power and influence we can receive with this world, right? And the Pharisees, they would stand on the street corners and and they would, you know, make their face all solemn to let everybody know that they were fasting and they would be praying in public. Why? They wanted the admiration of people. So it was their weakness. It wasn't Jesus's weakness. So they go to Jesus and say, Jesus, you're so great at all these things, and you're not influenced by anybody, and Jesus doesn't take the bait, okay? So also, in this way, we could pull for ourselves, right? Don't allow flattery to be a weakness. Look, we should be edifying one another, lifting each other up. But I, what I strive to care about most is what God says about me. As long as I hold on to what God says about me, I don't necessarily need the accolades of people to cloud my mind and cloud my judgment. I don't need to perform for other people, okay? Everything I do, what does Scripture say? In everything you do, do it unto God and not unto men because that's where your reward is. Okay, let's continue. So they ask a question, is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? So, oh, here's here's the question, right? And here's where they're trying to trap him. Because Rome was heavily taxed. And one thing you didn't want to do to the emperor is mess with his money, right? Chances are, that with all the taxes there, this is talking about the Roman poll tax. So let's let's just talk about that there. The poll tax in Rome was known as the tributus capitus, Okay, this was a tax that was administered or required of all adults, men 14 to 65, women, sorry, you get the short end of the stick here too. The poll, the tax started at 12 and went to 65. And basically this tax would fund Rome's military and their administration. Okay? And it would be in the uh the amount of, and it it varies just depending, but of about a denarius per year. Okay. So they asked Jesus, is it right to pay this tax or not? Verse 18, but Jesus, knowing their evil intent said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used to pay for the tax. They brought him a denarius and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Okay. So, it's important to note here when they ask, is it lawful? Because that was something that the Jewish people argued about quite often. And it put Jesus in quite a predicament, right? If he said, yes, it is lawful, basically what would happen is he would be denying in the eyes of the crowds God's sovereignty over Roman sovereignty. And and here's why. Let me back up a little bit, right? There was huge opposition in the community to this particular tax. One, political opposition because it was a reminder of Rome's rule over Israel and the loss of Jewish sovereignty. So it was a real sore spot for the Jewish people. But there was also heavy religious opposition 
to this tax because it had to be paid in Roman cur- uh, currency. The coins bore the image of Caesar. Caesar was often looked at as a god or deified, right, by the Romans, and that equated in the eyes of the Israelites to idol worship. So they felt like they were contributing to idol worship if they were to pay this tax. Guess what? They paid it anyway, okay? They didn't like it. But they did, because if they didn't, there was a heavy, heavy penalty associated with that. So, And that, that's kind of part two here, right? If Jesus says, yes, you should pay it, he loses popularity amongst the crowds. But if he says no, he becomes the enemy of Rome, and then what can they do? They can then charge him, or they can you know, rat on him, so to speak, about he's telling everybody not to pay the taxes. So... What does Jesus do? Let's read. Again, I'll just back up to 18. He says, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius and asked him, whose image is this and whose inscription? He makes them say it. They say, Caesar's. And he says to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. And give to God what is God. Okay? So, Jesus' answer. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. And what do they do? Let's just We'll just cap it off and we'll finish this and then we'll wrap up. It says, when they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. Jesus left them speechless with this. With the give to Caesar, what is Caesar? Give to God's, what is God's? And this goes along the lines of what Jesus is trying to say all along. Look, I will say nobody likes to pay taxes, right? And you can have some very strong feelings on that, that in that area politically, right? I'm not saying that I don't hold my own, you know, perspective on this. But what Jesus is doing, he ultimately discounts the argument because our citizenship is in heaven, and right? We are ambassadors here, which means while we're here, we speak on behalf of the king, okay? I am not saying that we should not stand up for injustice, against injustice. I am absolutely saying that. But look at Jesus's life and ministry, when they needed food, when not only when they needed food, when the crowds around needed food and they didn't have enough, they had enough. Why? Because they had the power and the authority of the kingdom of God. And that's why a couple loaves and a couple fish took care of everybody, right? When Jesus needed shelter, when the apostles, the disciples needed shelter, it was provided for. When Jesus told them to go to house house to house. What did he say? He says, don't take anything. You'll be taken care of. See, a mission-minded Christian doesn't get themselves hung up on, on some of these things, all right? Material needs become less of a need when you understand kingdom provision, and that is what we are seeing here. So it is possible for us to operate in this world, 
and we know our citizenship is in heaven. Scripture tells us this. 1 Peter 2.17, Peter says, fear God, honor the king. Because truthfully, to hand over money to Caesar, it's still God's money. Okay? And now it's Caesar's responsibility to do something with it. When we hold on to material things and honestly take on unnecessary arguments, what happens is, is we delay what God is doing here, okay, in, our, in and through our lives. So Jesus' answer, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. Look, nobody likes to pay the taxes. I don't like to pay taxes, <laughs> but, but I do, right? But I am not getting my life and sustenance through the government, through other people, through even my career, although it, it, it funds myself and my family. God is my provider. Just say that today. God is my provider. So even when it seems like somebody is picking your pocket, and you could often say that, you know, about that, that little line item on your paycheck, God's got you. He's got you. Scripture says that he'll supply all your needs according to what? His riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And that's why Jesus could confidently tell you, hey, somebody wants your cloak? Give them two. Somebody, somebody wants you to walk a mile? Walk two of them. I got you. I got you. There's nothing in this world that you need that I can't replace and multiply. And when we grasp onto that mentality that God's got us in every single area, we become less hung up on things. And honestly, we remove, we remove these, these attachments that we have believing that, and honestly, the form of idolatry saying that something else, something else can provide for us the way God can say that today. My brother Rich on the live stream just said it. God is my provider. Say, God is my provider. Say, my God will supply all my needs according to his riches, which are infinite, by the way, and his glory, which is higher than anything we could ever achieve on our own. In Christ Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. I hope that encourages you today. Jesus wasn't getting hung up. Don't count on the flattery of other people. Don't worry about you know, what you'll eat, what you'll wear. God's got your back in this. He is your provider. Amen. I'm pumped up this morning about that. Let's pray. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus. If anybody within the sound of my voice, Lord God, has anxiety about their material things, their housing, their personal finances, bitterness against, you know, society, bitterness against the government, Lord, we honor you when we are good citizens here. We honor you when we realize that you are our provider. So just fill us with that hope. Not even that hope, with that faith, 
right? Faith is a substance of a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith turns I hope into I know. Just say that. Say, God, I know you provide for me. In Jesus' mighty name. I love you all. Pastor J.D. Ambrosio here. Sound of Heaven Church in Deer Park, New York. Check us out at soh.church. We're coming almost to the end of Matthew 22, and we will continue this in the next couple days. But you're listening to The 1% Christian, right? The daily Bible study where we get together for 1% of our day, and then we head out and do something amazing for Christ's sake. Have an awesome, awesome day.